Before I ask you a question, and those that know me know I always start with a question, I'm going to put it out there. I have made major financial mistakes. I made a $3,000 mistake because I clearly didn't define the work content for somebody that I needed to do some work. It wasn't efficient. It was complex. And you know, I'll never make that mistake again. But then, as a leader, do you have five people wasting $3,000 of your time? Multiply that again, $30,000. Are we prepared as leaders to throw that away? Of course not. But how often, day in and day out, we walk past our people, we don't ask them what they think, what could be done more efficiently, or do we examine the complexity that sometimes we've built into our business? These are all questions you should be asking yourself, but I ask that you listen to my conversation with Wayne Washington. It is so full of insights. You won't want to miss this show. Let's listen. A lot of times I have a disengaged employee because that employee's turned off. He's mad at his boss. His boss is arrogant. His boss is pushy. His boss doesn't help him. So he's not going to give that extra nine yards. He's going to watch the clock. He's going to do Facebook on company time. All that is non-profit time. That's money that could be spent on the company making money, but he's disengaged. He's pulled back. You don't see it. The company doesn't see it. The company doesn't feel it, but it's occurring. Let's also go to unnecessary complexity, and that's usually a part of strategy. When your strategy isn't crystal clear and communicated concisely to all your employees, they're guessing. So you have to stop. I got to get a disanswer with X, Y, and Z. So I got to wait for my boss to tell me this. All that is time. Time is money. So that's money you leave on the table. You're never going to get back. We don't see it. I call them value drains because they're like still, they're, they're under the surface. We don't see it. Welcome to the Drop In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the drop-in CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, Join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, my name is Deb Coviello, founder of Illumination Partners, and I want to thank you for joining us on another episode of the Drop-In CEO Podcast, where I have the honor to speak to amazing leaders and share their insights with you. If you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review so we can continue to bring you great programming. And today, I am honored to share the mic with a amazing person. His name is Wayne Washington. And there's something about this individual that really resonated with me. His background is so similar to mine in the area of operations, operational excellence. So I'll proceed with, he has over three decades of managing operations in the trenches and running a successful business and speaking. And his view of operational excellence is very different. He has learned that operational excellence is not a destination, but an ongoing journey in pursuit of a company's strategic objectives. And sometimes called the doctor of operations, he is known for his skill in diagnosing ailing operations, prescribing a course of action, and serving as a mentor. 
during implementation. Now, his bio goes on and on. I particularly like the part of mentoring, which is very related to the drop-in CEO brand. But with that, I welcome you, Wayne, onto the show. Thank you for being a guest. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to our discussion because just like you, our backgrounds are similar and it's almost like talking to a peer. So I appreciate you having me. Thank you for that. And I am so excited. So with that, I don't want to steal any more of your thunder. Your resume is quite extensive, but for our audience, could you please share a bit about yourself personally, your business journey and the work you're doing now? It seemed like it's so long ago when I got out of college, but I graduated as an electrical engineer from a small school in Ohio and started up my career in project management. So I learned how to put things together. I learned how to take step by step by step and how to think through logically. Long story short, moved to Evansville, Indiana in early 1980s and started working for a pharmaceutical company, Meat Johnson Nutrition Division, the makers of Infamil. And that's where I really learned my metal. That's where I learned pretty much everything that I've learned today in a corporate environment. One of the things I had to do as a project manager there was implement a computerized maintenance management system, going from paper and pencil to a computerized system. So in doing that, you had to help people think through process. You had to help them see a long-term goal. So you had to help them work together to get those things done. So that was one of the things I learned from that process. Also, while we were there, we had a really stint to where we're trying to cut costs and major cost-cutting effort. Again, make a long story short, in 1994, I led a team of individuals, of vendors, of the Chamber of Commerce, and our employees, and we won what's called the 1994 National Energy Award for the best energy project in the country. And we saved over almost $3 million that year. We had this picture of the utility company giving us a check for how much money we're shaving. Now, there wasn't a smile on their face, but they gave us a check. So those type of things helped me work with people. That's, that's when you talk about mentorship, when you talk about how do things come together, that's where I learned to bring things together by working with groups of people. But I think the big thing that helped me pull things together was, again, in 1997, I don't know if you remember back in those days, outsourcing was the name of the game. How can you be better, faster, and cheaper to survive? Well, I just got transferred into uh, the most senior facilities group in the company. You know, most of my guys were between 45 and 60 years old, and change was not on their mind. Retirement was on their mind. I used the term, talking about change was like talking about having a fart in the elevator. You know, they want nothing to do with those type of things. But I had to pull that group together. We had to save our jobs. So we created a common enemy of the outsourcer. We had to be better, faster, and cheaper than the outsourcer. We pulled together a team of employees. They came up with the slogan. They came up with the plan of attack. And we basically, when it's all said and done, we created what we call a set of working agreements. About 10 or 15 different things, we, how we're going to treat each other, how we're going to behave with each other, how we're going to respect each other. That was signed by every, all 54 employees in the department. It was posted on the wall. That became our marching orders. We respect each other. You don't have to worry about accountability. You had that peer accountability that went into play with, with that process. Again, they were a long time ago. That was over 20 years ago, those types of things happened. But it was the foundation for what's made me the kind of person that I am today. I've gone through these things over and over again. So from back in 1997, it was, I started my own company, Facility Management Engineering. And basically what I did was took what I was doing for corporate America and started my own business doing it. So I find my clients who, I was their facility manager. I took care of their cleaning, their maintenance, their grass cutting. 
I help them reduce their energy. So I was that single point of contact and helped them handle all the brick and mortar types of facilities over the early part of the year. As time went on, and really in the last five or six years, I realized facilities is not the same as it used to be. It's how can you get the lowest price? Facilities have become a necessary evil. You run things until they break. And that was not the way I like looking at my job on a daily basis. So about four or five years ago, I said, how do I get out of the brick and mortar type of approach and move more to the project-based approach where we work with clients who have projects to do for clients, but also have, think about a marketing agency or a B2B SaaS company or a professional services company. They're geared around projects, a lot of projects for their various clients, but they also have internal processes, onboarding new people, building, bringing new intake from a client. All that stuff is routine. How do you make that a routine process so things go faster, things go smoother? The one thing that I feel has been a, a motto of mine since I got out of engineering school is if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. It's been very, very important for me to make sure we can put numbers to things we do. And when you can measure things, you know what's good, you know what's bad, you know what needs to change. That same philosophy that kind of raised me more to, to the day where we're coming, Deb, that same philosophy <clears throat> helps me when I think about money and companies that leave money on the table. And if your strategy and your culture and your operations are not in alignment, you're leaving money on the table each and every day. And how do I know that? I'm going to give you three things that everybody's going to resonate with. Disengaged employees, unnecessary complexity, and hidden cost. All three of those things are money, a company is leaving on the table, and they're leaving it on the table because their strategy, their operations, and their culture are not aligned. Or if they're aligned, that's what I call operational excellence. And when you're operating in an excellent point, you're not leaving. You don't have disengaged employees because they're all on the same page, rolling in the same direction. You don't have unnecessary complexity because you have a data-driven strategy. You don't have hidden costs because you have transaction, transparency, and accountability. So those kind of things are what's all the past helped me bring to where I am today. That's a long story I know to put into a, it's a mouthful, but that's where I am. That's my background. That's what we kind of help people do, taking an operations background with brick and mortar and now bringing it more to CEOs of more project-based type of organizations. So that's absolutely amazing. And thank you so much for being a little different because when I think about facilities management, it is very reactionary. It is hurry up, get it done. It is about lowballing the prices and playing around with the numbers because, you know, operations is a challenging area. I mean, so often the landscape is changing, requirements are changing, we're having supply issues and not able to get the bolts, the screws, and the big infrastructure in place. So it is a grueling operation. So you and I, I being in operations, just become resilient and be able to respond fast and problem solving, et cetera. What I find so unique about yourself is that you have taken this step back perspective. And yes, I could probably do it. You say you could probably do it better, faster, cheaper, but you may be, to your point, wasting money in some place else. Let's step back and look at, as you said, the strategy, the cultures, how our processes first. And that is where you can better serve versus, hey, can you get me cheaper contractors or can you second source this or can you throw more resources at it? That's such a lagging indicator of the good work that we should be doing. Are we in alignment? <laughs> <laughs> you hit the nail on the head. And I think that was the thing that woke me up 
that when you look at business these days, we look at only lagging indicators. And the profit and loss statement is nothing but a large lagging indicator. I've had to ask myself, how do we step forward and look at what's a leading indicator? And we're in the, that field, we're surrounded by those leading indicators, our resources, our manpower, our materials, our money, and the management. And management be this knowledge, skills, and abilities that we have to deal with. We know them intimately. If we don't look at them and measure them in real time, we know how things are going to work as opposed to waiting 30 days and getting a PL state. So that was the biggest transition I had to make. So that's very interesting. And I'm going to pitch myself a little bit here because it's a perfect entry point into, we think about people and I call people the greatest tool in your toolbox. And if you are having challenges with people, well, what are you doing about it? Are you ignoring it? Are you sending them out for a class? Are you making it HR's problem to deal with that? And instead, I propose things that we should be doing in terms of leading indicators, not lagging indicators of how are they performing? Are they meeting their target objectives? But more importantly, leading indicators like, well, how often are we meeting with our people? How often are we elevating a skill or just something like that? Just so many more leading indicators as leaders to elevate the capability of the people because they're smart. They want to do a good job. And if we invest in them, they're going to have your back and they're going to do the best they can, make it efficient, better, faster, cheaper before you start throwing money at fixing a problem. Yeah, money doesn't fix everything. It doesn't. You could do some things very inexpensively. But I want to come back to one of your main talking points. You talk about when you align your company's strategy, culture, and operations. If you don't do that, you leave money on the table. I would love for you to go deeper into that or an example of where it's done right or done wrong. <laughs> let's look at the wrong side of it first. And when I'm saying wrong, let's look at status quo. What I'll say, what's going on mostly in industry today. And when you have, let's just talk about disengaged employees. A lot of times I have a disengaged employee because that employee's turned off. He's mad at his boss. His boss is arrogant. His boss is pushy. His boss doesn't help him. So he's not going to give that extra nine yards. He's going to watch the clock. He's going to do Facebook on company time. All that is non-profitable time. That's money that could be spent on the company making money. But he's disengaged. He's pulled back. You don't see it. The company doesn't see it. The company doesn't feel it, but it's occurring. Let's also go to unnecessary complexity, and that's usually a part of strategy. When your strategy isn't crystal clear and communicated concisely to all your employees, they're guessing. So you have to stop. I got to get this answer with X, Y, and Z. So I got to wait for my boss to tell me this. Or so-and-so is on vacation, and I cannot get to this file. Or where's that file? I thought I left it here. I got to search through my computer and find all these files. All that is time. Time is money. So that's money you leave on the table. You're never going to get back. We don't see it. It's a hit. I, I call them value drains because they're like still, they're under the surface. You don't see them. And the last but not least, that's called about hidden costs. That's, that's the third one. And hidden costs are usually around your operations. Now, with the proliferation of technology these days, you have system here, system there, and systems don't talk to each other. They're not integrated. So you have to take data from one system and put it into another system. When we do those kind of things, again, that's cost. That's hidden cost. That's money you leave on the table. So all those, because your strategy, culture, and operations are each individual situations are different silos, but each of them individually add up a little at a time, a little at a time. You know, I've seen situations where companies will leave as much as 15% of the operating costs on the table 
strictly because of disengaged employees, unnecessary complexity, and hidden costs. And those three things are killers. So I'm very curious here. So your pedigree and what you've been doing for the last 20 years is in the area of facilities management. That's your technical expertise right now. But when you talk and speak, you are talking the language or thinking CEO of the company, you're acting like the CEO of the company. And so I'm curious, when you come in and you're asked to help a company, is it for their facilities management needs or is it for the overall CEO leadership and how they approach the business? I'm curious, where does it start? Where does it go? It's not the facility needs. A CEO, the head of the company. Now, I had to learn the hard way. People don't want to spend money on facilities. I can have the best cost-saving idea in the world for a facilities project, and I had to go talk to an accountant person or a CEO about spending that money. They don't want to hear it. Marketing sales expenses are more important than facility expenses. With the philosophy of run it till it drops, they don't want to hear it. So I had to make that pivot a while ago. There are too many times I put effort into a project or to sell a project, a facility type project, the facility manager buys it and he goes on his own to sell it to the CEO. It never worked. So let's back up. Let's not talk about brick and mortar. Let's talk about business as a whole because you're responsible for that bottom line, Mr. CEO. And if you just want to put money in facilities and leave alone your strategy and leave alone your culture, I'm sorry, but you're going to lose money. Your project's going to be late over budget, and not going to hit your projections. So if that's the thing you want to look forward to, fine. But if you want to have your projects on time, on target, and with your budget, you have to align your strategy, culture, and operations. So that's why I go for the CEO. Okay, so that's very cool. And that is for listeners. I'm going to talk to the listeners right now. That is so, so critical. Again, everybody out there, if you are a practitioner or working within a company, your skills are celebrated. Again, yours in facility management, I'm in quality and operational excellence. We need those skills, but you need to talk the language of the leader and put it in a broader perspective. So if the CEO or leader says, I need to be able to get my facility upgraded in order to open up market share and get more sales. Well, should the CEO be thinking about what are all those dimensions? Well, there is equipment. Are my people ready for the change? Do they understand what the change is? What communications do I need to do? Do I need to paint the strategy on the wall and disseminate it? So you come in at a point where let's talk about the bigger picture. What's the outcome you want to achieve? Okay. People trained. We need some more resources. Oh, facilities. Facilities is part of that. Build it around the strategy. Then facilities becomes an enabler. I get what you do. it's funny the games we have to play and and i use that word lightly games but it's learning to it's not what we do sometimes that's important but it's getting our heads in the minds and the change management just like you had to do with some of those more senior people in the organization when they were outsourcing jeff one of the things i've had to learn to do is how do you create an analogy or help a ceo Stop seeing brick and mortar. Stop seeing facilities. And I had to step back and say, okay, how, how do I help you see the big picture? And the analogy I've come up with is NASCAR racing. When you think about NASCAR racing, you have a specially designed car. That car goes around a curve over and over and it's designed for that. It's not designed for the highway. It's not designed for gas mileage. It's designed for that NASCAR track. On the other side, you have your team, which is your NASCAR driver and your pit crew. They have to work together day after day, be on the same page, and function as one. So if you're going to win on the NASCAR circuit, your team has to function as one. 
your car, your vehicle has to be in tip-top shape. How do you put them together, Mr. CEO? When you put them together, you will have sustained profitability. That's what I talk about. So <laughs> this is why... That's a mouthful. No, no, no. <laughs> What's really exciting about this is because I, too, when I was going over from just being a technical expert to how do I build a cohesive region, I remember creating the framework of one. One team working in one way towards one goal, and I had a beautiful circular infographic, and that became the beginning of me building strategy and saying, this is how we're going to move forward together to make a difference. And I have some success stories around that. So this is why I'm smiling. I'd love to switch gears here a little bit because you say a large part of what you do, mentoring is critical. And you've not touched on how did that become important to you? And what is some of the mentoring that you have done that maybe has had an impact on the situation, the business or people? I think the biggest thing about mentoring is we have to get everybody on the same page, flowing in the same direction. And when that happens, and let me back up, expectations have got to be clear. And one of the things that when I come back and look at back at the old days at me, Johnson here in Evansville, when I had that group of older people and we had to save our jobs from an outsourcer, once you develop what I'll call that concept of working agreements, nowadays I call them rules of engagement. How are we going to engage with each other? How are we going to respect each other? So once that is set up and we know how we're going to treat each other, we know how we're going to respect each other, it's easier to mentor. Because when I could talk to you one-on-one and I see you have a skill deficiency here, and as a company, we're trying to go here, I could help. If we want to go here as a company, you're part of this company, you agree to buy into it, here's where we're heading. In order for us to get here, I need you to do X, Y, and Z a little bit better. And here's what I suggest you do. It's a discussion. It's not a performance review. It's not a talk down. It's not a slap down. And once we have a discussion, it becomes coaching. All right. Hey, John, I saw you do X, Y, Z. Good job. Or John, you might want to try X, Y, Z a little bit different next time. You might get these results. So it's how you approach people and how you talk to them as a manager. You're, You're not the boss. You're a coach. You have that Olympic athlete. You're trying to get better. So that's what I kind of look at. You know, you just triggered a thought for me because I too, I mentor all the time. And I love it because I'm now able to give back my insights or ask them questions because I didn't have much of a mentor growing up. And so I really enjoy doing it for others. But one of the connections I just made that was very interesting is there's the act of mentoring. First of all, the mentee has to be ready and open to receive feedback or be open to think about things differently. But you did say about starting with the rules of engagement, because if they don't exist, it's hard to be able to paint a picture of where there's a gap in performance to where you need to go. And I have seen in organizations where I could be coaching somebody, mentoring them on a new way of behaving. But if the organization doesn't have good rules of engagement, they're not going to flourish. They're going to get frustrated. So you start from a different place. Yeah. When you say the word culture, I had to really redefine what culture is. Culture is the beliefs and the behaviors each employee brings to work every day. The behaviors are culture. Your beliefs are culture. And until you change beliefs and behaviors, it's hard to change things. So that's why when I talk about the rules of engagement, the working agreements, we'll be focusing on behaviors. We get a common agreement of what behaviors are standard here. What are our values around behaviors? Once that's in the bag, we can easily talk about skills because you 
remember your days in operations. You have behavioral issues with your employees, and you have skill issues for your employees. Eight out of ten times, there are behavior issues because we as a company didn't address the behaviors. We didn't have representative behaviors. For us. We let certain things slide. Let's put it that way. I couldn't agree with you more, but I'm going to take this in another direction because we could go on and on about that. But just recognize that you make a critical point. Invest in behaviors and the essential skills. Probably the people have the technical, but if they have the technical without the behavior, you're not going to get an efficient process. So we've been talking very theoretical. We've had some great examples here. But one of the things that we talked about earlier was you have some very actionable tools that leaders who are listening to this might be able to use and apply to assess the current situation. Can you tell us a little bit about your tool and assessment, please? When I say you can't measure, you can't manage, and that's been a motto of mine for a long period of time, I've always looked for ways, how can I put my hands around strategy, culture, and operations. So we develop a tool. It's an interactive online assessment tool. It has about 40 questions. And we're getting your, for lack of a better word, your level of agreement or disagreement for a set of statements. When you look at the standard is an operation excellent company. And we look at the behaviors of your current leadership team, the actions, behaviors, and decisions of your current leadership team, and compare them to an operational excellent company. So by doing that, we're going to see what that gap is. So our tool called the Alignment Analyzer helps you understand how your strategy, how your culture and operations are aligned or misaligned. And if they're misaligned, it lets you know where your misalignment is. So it's a tool we've developed called Alignment Analyzer. And I have a link for it. I think it'll be in the show notes. It's really simple. It's alignmentanalyzer.com. That's what we try to do. And that tool is only step one. And once we get beyond that, to what extent are value drains in your company? By that, I mean, to what extent are you have disengaged employees? To what extent do you have unnecessary complexity? To what extent do you have hidden costs? We use a second tool called a value drain detector. Same process that helps you go through and find out to what extent what I call your your infested with value drains. And once we have those two things in place, we take the third step we call put a number on it. And that put a number on it is how much of your current operating budget are you leaving on the table? because of value drain. So there are three tools we have. There are three free tools that we have that we try to help our clients or or whoever wants to use, because we don't charge anybody for those tools. All right. Well, that was amazing. And I do appreciate you for that. We're going to make sure that that's in the notes. Before we bring this to a close, I do want to ask you one more question is that I love your insights. We've been able to swap stories here and align and discuss, but I want you to connect with certain people that may be in the audience. So what is the perfect person that potentially is a client of yours that you can help? What are they feeling? What are the questions are they asking? Because maybe they are that person that you can serve. Okay. The best way I try to describe it, I'm looking for that CEO. And I I look at the decision maker. The CEO, his company is growing. And he can't get his hands around. It's not going as fast as he'd like. He's having issues. It's no longer fun. It's harder. And he struggles. He keeps all those thoughts to himself because to his organization, he has to come across as that big macho sucker. So inside, he's struggling. He's hurting. My money's on the table. How do I get my hands around this group? Why would they do this? Why would they, you know, all that kind of stuff. He's doing it on his own. I hear you. I've been there. That's the kind of person I'm looking for. Let's talk. How can we help you get through that? And the way we help you do that is by getting your strategy, culture, and operations in a line. And it's not a one-stop shop. You have to do it holistically. And we have a process to do that. So 
that's what I'm looking for. And I love that. And you're so right about holistic approach. Again, people want the quick fix. And I also have my assessment tool, the CEO's compass, a seven point assessment to determine where are you off track. A little bit different, but again, we need to help the CEOs, male, female alike, because they are just trying to make a difference. So before we bring this to a close, are there any last thoughts that you may have for our audience and then how they can connect with you? The name of the company is Grow Company Profits and the website is growcompanyprofits.com. My email address is wing at growcompanyprofits.com. I'm also available on LinkedIn. I guess when you think about closing thoughts, Deb, there's hope. It's not all is lost. You know, there are people who can't get their hands around their business, can't get their hands around their strategy, can't get their hands around their culture. And they just learn to accept it and keep on throwing money at it and doing the same thing over and over again. All I want people to realize, there's hope. Let's talk. What I have to talk about doesn't work. That's fine. Go back and do what you're doing. But I think there's a better way. Let's talk. All right. Beautifully said. You have been an amazing guest. I appreciate you, your thought leadership, and the skills and service that you bring to others. I wish you continued success, Wayne. And thank you for being an amazing guest. Thank you. My pleasure being here. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. My new book, CEO's Compass, will change the way you think about leadership, navigate rapid transformation, and elevate the leaders of tomorrow. If you're feeling off track, the CEO's Compass Assessment will guide you to peace of mind in days, not months. You can learn more about the CEO's Compass by visiting my website at dropinceo.com. Now go out and lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.